Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. How does the offer of free beer sound to you? Well, as a loyal listener of this show, we'd like to reward you uh, for listening to our show. Uh, and we're going to start doing it now with free beer, as my previous sentence implied. Thanks to our friends at Beer52.com, that's Beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight free exclusive craft beers. And it's not just a sip, you get the whole thing, because there's no point in opening it if you're just going to have a sip and then throw it away. So it's eight, eight free exclusive craft beers from all around the world. All you need to do is go to beer52.com forward slash West Ham and cover just four ninety five for the postage. And what's more, stop. Hammer Time listeners get two beers free. So that's a total of 10 free beers with just the postage. Uh, so Beer52, uh, who are they, you're asking? Beer52.com forward slash West Ham. They are pioneers traversing the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest small batch breweries planet Earth has to offer. So no surprise then that they are the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer52, Beer52, deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany. Korea. These are names of countries. Germany, Korea, Norway. Not themes in a way, they're, they're names of countries. Germany, Korea, Norway, South Africa. Calif- that's not a, California is not a country. California is a state. So Germany, Korea, Norway, South Africa, the state of California, Finland, and many, many more countries and states. But not states of mind or states of well-being. States like um, Arizona. But not Arizona, California. Germany, Korea, Norway, South Africa, California, Finland, and many more. But they haven't forgotten their roots. As an independent UK company, ah, so their roots are in the UK. Beer 5.2 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The UK craft beers, like like UK garage. But not as violent. The beauty of Beer 5.2 is that they don't hold you to ransom. There's no lock-in and you can leave any time. Your first box will be sent to you next day. As well as the best, most interesting beer money can buy, your case will include the award-winning craft beer magazine, Ferment. 
which is a play on words, Jim, isn't it? Jim, you're... Um, yeah, lovely. Yeah, yeah good. It's Fine. play on words. Yeah. Ferment, which explains the theme, an individual beers you'll receive and a cheeky... Oh, Jim's here, by the way. Uh, you'll receive and a cheeky snack is thrown in just to top it all off. You don't like dark beers? Well, choose the light plan. Easy. Go to beer52.com forward slash West Ham to get your first case of eight beers for free. And don't forget, customers get an extra two unmissable beers free. That's beer52.com forward slash West Ham. I thank you. Stop Hammer Time is brought to you by Duke and the team with the Cricketers Inn in Mepham, near Gravesend. Whilst you're there, you have to try their award-winning fish and chips and enjoy it with a pint of Watney's Pale Ale. Hello and welcome to Stop Hammer Time. My name is Phil Whelans and joining me this week are two of my compadres from my outing at the weekend to go and see Chelsea United play West Ham United over at Stamford Bridge in the posh part of London. They are Colin Milne. Hello, Colin. Hiya, Phil. And Gary Killington. Hello, Phil. Jim Grant uh, couldn't be with us. He was the fourth of our uh, four musketeers. Jim... When the final whistle went, Jim took all his clothes off and uh, <laughs> ran out onto the Fulham Road, uh, broke into a, a fabric shop and uh, got a piece of William Morris uh, sofa upholstery material and fashioned it into a kind of kilt. And uh, he hasn't been seen since. He, it, it must be said he's very, very pleased at the result. Um, um, and uh, it is this week a tri- triumphant top six challenging stop hammer time after a weekend in which the part played by David Martin in West Ham's famous victory at Stamford Bridge ended with the West Ham goalkeeper in tears. In direct contrast to a week ago when the part played by West Ham's goalkeeper in our famous defeat ended up with the crowd in tears. (laughs) In fact, Callum Mann, the famous crying child from Sam Allardyce's landmark 5-0 cup away defeat at Nottingham Forest in 2014 has described Roberto's time between the sticks as a return to the good old days. (laughs) Mann, who since shooting to fame at Forest now wishes to be known as distraught Callum Mann said I haven't really bothered much with football since my famous TV appearance at the city ground I've been mainly going to funerals and watching the green mile or the bit where Bambi's mum gets shot but I've really enjoyed Roberto's time at the club I've been on three packs of Kleenex a game and it's great to just get it all off my chest I haven't enjoyed a West Ham match as much since Simone Zaza left At the final whistle, the openly weeping David Martin was given a big hug by his dad Alvin, proving that male pattern baldness is on the mother's side. He then scooped David up, popped him in the child seat and took him out for pizza and ice cream. Later that night, Alvin and Mrs Martin let him stay up and watch Match of the Day before, tucking him and his girlfriend up in bed and switching the light off. So what a a game it was at the weekend. Um... We're going to discuss that uh, after after the break. But uh, before that, during disconsolate moments, West Ham fans often pine for the return to their front line of someone like a man I spoke to the phone to earlier today. And we're going to listen to that conversation now. 
He is one of the great West Ham strikers. Has, uh, has I, I think we agree, gentlemen, has, has gone into legend as, well, as one of the, the all-time great West Ham strikers. Uh, he himself will, be, will register, not, not bewilderment, but sort of surprise that the fans took him to their hearts because he considered himself not necessarily a kind of West Ham player. But I, whenever there have been periods where, well, the aforementioned uh, Simone Zizar and, uh, uh, Zaza and Jonathan Caleri were up front... Um, um, the early 90s, when poor old Trevor Morley, uh, uh, victim of knife crime, was expected <laughs> to lead the line on his own. Yeah. Uh, we're always, in those moments, crying out for a David Cross type. Yes. For a David Cross type. And uh, earlier today, I spoke to David Cross. And it sounds a bit like this. So, um, David, um, do you still follow the fortunes of West Ham at all? Yeah, yes, absolutely. Um, um, it seems that uh, w- one thing that uh, I think everyone knows about David Cross is whenever there's a kind of striker crisis or we, we don't seem to have firepower up front, I think everybody tends to say what we need is someone like David Cross uh, uh, at this particular moment in time. That has happened, I think, since the early 90s when poor old Trevor Morley had to uh, shoulder all of our attacking responsibilities. Obviously, a few years ago, it happened when uh, we didn't seem to have striking options beyond Simone Zazar and uh, Jonathan Caleri. Um, what, do you, uh, what do you think uh, might be the reasons we had to drop our £45 million uh, French striker at the weekend. Well, it's yeah. Um, when when he played his first couple of games, you know, I, I didn't see those games, but apparently the, um, the reports were really good, uh, saying he was working hard, um, looked a class act, and, and looked like a goal scorer. Um, but I watched the game against Newcastle. I was down there. I was down at the stadium. Oh right, that yeah. Game. And um, his, his movement really was um, fairly pedestrian. And I mean, the big thing about goal scoring is you, you've got to get into positions to score goals. Mm. And, and the positions to score goals are as close as possible to uh, to the goalkeeper. So if you can get in the six-yard box and finish from there, then, you know, those are the ones everyone says, oh, you know, I could have scored that and so could my mother-in-law. But yeah. you, have to get, you have to get there to be able to do that. Um Anywhere in the penalty area, you've got a chance of scoring. But most of the game, I, I looked at, at where he was, and he was never in the box. Um, and sometimes that's that's a lack of confidence. You know, I think if you if you're a goal scorer and you're not scoring goals, you've got to get it into your head that you know the only way to do uh, to do the the honourable thing is to get into the dangerous positions yeah. and if you're going to miss chances then miss them but don't get into positions where you can't miss a chance because you don't get a chance um, and, and that was the, the feeling I got watching that game against Newcastle but since then you know apparently he didn't uh, he didn't do all that well against Tottenham and then no and then they left him out at the weekend so well, the, the Tottenham game, he seemed to, uh, you know, the, it was interesting because obviously with Tottenham you had uh, Harry Kane, who was full of confidence, and you also had, uh, you know, a system where Kane was on his own up front, but behind him were three guys that can also score goals, but were also looking for Kane all the time. I think um, there was a goal that was a kind of cross uh, that... 
Kane was at the back post, but I think the person that crossed the ball was just looking for Kane from the moment he picked the ball up. And, and it was a, he missed everyone out in the whole entirety of the middle of the penalty area because he was looking for the guy that's going to come in on the far post. And that was yeah. Kane, and Kane knew that was going to happen. And uh, that was their kind of system that they had. It feels a bit like... Um, Hilaire is sort of a bit kind of feeling a bit isolated up front because of the sort of system we're playing in. Well, yeah, um, I understand what you're saying, but when I was, I mean, we always go back to, to this, don't we, when I was playing, and it, it sounds like one of those cliches, but um, because I considered myself a goal scorer, then I, I relied on scoring goals, and I was prepared to live and die on the fact that I would score them. So, if I didn't score, I was quite willing to put my hand up and said, yeah, I'm, I must be doing something wrong. But what I used to say to the lads in wide positions, and, and this happened several times during the course of, of seasons, uh, Patsy Holland, maybe Jimmy Neighbour, bless him, would say, Cossie, I, I, I couldn't see you to pick out, so, you know, I didn't cross the ball. And I used to say to them, listen, just put the ball in the, in the penalty area. Don't try and pick me out. Just put it in there. If I know it's going to come in, I'll get on the end of it. Yeah, I'll attack and it. Yeah. If I don't get on the end of it, then you can blame me. But I'll certainly blame you if you don't put it in the box, because that's where I'm going to score goals. Yeah. I'm prepared to hurt myself to, to get a goal. Just put it in there, and I'll get on the end of it. I promise you I will get on the end of it. And sometimes that's the attitude you have to have as a striker, to, to be able to say to people, look, put the ball in the areas where we can score a goal and I'll be the person who gets on the end of it and put, yeah, put it in the net. I'll attack it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, interestingly, obviously a good example of a, a change of formation uh, uh, that suddenly made things very different was the 1980 Cup Final where we sort of nominally played with one up front, which was you. And uh, yeah. um, was that a bit of a kind of shock when that came that day? Yeah, because I didn't know about that. John, you know, John was very clever, a very, very astute coach, and uh, he'd worked something out that, you know, us being a second division side at the time, and Arsenal being, you know, right up at the top of the tree in the in the first division, he had to do something different, something that that would surprise them. Mm. What I didn't realise was he was going to surprise me at quarter three on, <laughs> yeah. on the day of the game. But um, you know, what he did worked. It, it was for me. It was. Um, it was disappointing in many respects because I knew that I wouldn't get a chance to score. It was yeah. quite clear what my role was going to be and that we were going to get goals from, uh, or chances to score from the middle of the field. And, and my job was to take their defence or their two centre-backs out of the, out of the positions um, by, by moving across the line and right. really not even, not even uh, enticing the ball into my feet. Um, so... It was disappointing in that respect, but then again, at the end of that game, when I walk up the steps and get a, a Cupman's medal, then, yeah. you know, then, then it worked. And, Where'd and you get hold of that flat cap? I don't know, but I wish I'd never worn it. Every time I see it on pictures now, I keep thinking, why on earth did I wear that hat? Now, um, that look, no, that look is it. very popular now, David. That's a huge leap. <laughs> the old flat cap, Peaky Blinders, popular yeah, look I've, now. Yeah, I've not seen that. I'll have to invest in Sky TV, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw on the BBC, I think. So, uh, oh, right, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well. Oh, no, it's full of flat caps. It's like a tribute. Right. It's a tribute to the 1980 FA Cup final, that show. Well, yeah. Um, Except they're all yeah, brummies. It, uh, somebody, somebody gave it me in the crowd, I'm sure. It must have been when I was going up the steps. I mean, to be honest... Once, once the final whistle goes, and 
you know, you, you can't really yeah. remember what happened and who did what. But um, yeah, I, I sometimes wish I'd not, uh, I'd not picked that one up. Um, talking of scoring goals, I mean, your, your goal-scoring record is, uh, is extraordinary. Most of the places you go, uh, it's like a kind of a goal every other game almost or, or a, a little bit less than that. Even, a, um, you know, you, you yourself sort of accounted the Manchester City year as not particularly, you know, one of your favourite years of football, but it's, that's, that's something like 12 in 30. It was very nearly a goal every other game. Um, and uh, I understand that John Lyle had a kind of incentive scheme for you uh, uh, to uh, try and hit the highest target you could goal scoring. What was that? Well, it wasn't actually an incentive scheme. It was just that we were having a chat on the way to one particular game and uh, and John just said to me, you know, how many times have you got 20 goals in a season? And I said, well, I never have. Um, and I was 27, 28 at the time. Um, and he, he couldn't believe that. He said, you've never scored 20 goals. I said, no, I've never scored 20 goals. I, I always start really well. Um, you know, probably by Christmas, I've got 10, 12, maybe even 15 goals. But then I just I just die out in the second half of the season. I said, I think it might be because um, I worked so hard over the summer that I come back fit for pre-season, very fit, um, and, and I get off to a flying start. And, and then maybe I just, you know, I just, Faded a bit. Tire towards the the end of February, March, and April. So, so he just said the one time he said, "Look, if you get a goal over twenty this season, I'll pay you uh, five pounds for a goal. If you get less than twenty, you pay me five pounds for for you know the goals you haven't scored." Um, and quite quickly in that eighty eighty one season, I got. Um, I got over 20 quite quickly and John then moved the goalposts and said he would give me £10 for every <laughs> goal I scored over 30 uh, or I would pay him £10 for you know, every goal I got less than 30. So, um, And the Grimsby game, which was the, the, the one that clinched our promotion, was one where I was lucky enough to, to get four goals. And, yeah, and John, yeah. John coughed up 40 quid, but what he did, which he didn't have. He had to borrow it off... Uh, off one of our directors. Oh, that's a, a great days when they have to borrow money. <laughs> They'd have to be, they, for uh, for managers to borrow money off directors. Now there'd be people. There'd be houses would be remortgaged now. <laughs> the amount uh, of money yeah, maybe. But I did. Uh, I did do the honourable thing by giving a fiver to each of the lads who provided those goals. So oh, Parksy, that's good. Partsy got a fiver. I'm not sure the other three, but I gave a dish out a fiver each anyway. So I only came out with 20 quid and I gave the other 20 away. Oh, brilliant. Um, well, what was it like going to Canada? You had two spells in Vancouver, didn't you? What was, what was, that, what was the league like out there at the time? Uh, yeah, it was good. It was a good league. There were some um, very good imports, which is... Those, you know, the English lads yeah. and, the, and, the, and the foreign lads uh, from Europe. Uh, we had a particularly good side. I played up front with Peter Beardsley. Um, we had Dave Watson, the England centre-back. Oh, yeah, the, time, yeah. the, the Manchester City lad. Uh, he was our centre-half. Uh, Franz Tyson from Ipswich had come as well. So yeah. um, we really had a good side at Vancouver. And the league, all of the, um, all of the clubs in, in that particular division, had very good imports, but the key to us, or for us, at Vancouver Whitecaps that season was that our Canadians were really good. You had to have six citizens, right? so you couldn't go out uh, with a, you know, six or seven imported players. You had to have at least six citizens, which is either Canadians 
or, or US citizens playing in the team. And we, because we had uh, British Columbia, obviously has a lot of um, people who yeah. emigrated from England yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and moved over there, and Scotland and Ireland as yeah, well. Yeah, Nova Scotia is a lot of sort of traditionally is sort of Scottish immigrants to Canada, isn't it? Yeah, that's right, and obviously that's where they got the name from. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, BC had a lot of very good um, soccer-minded players who were the Canadians, and, and because our uh, six or seven Canadians were really good players, and you know that helped us. And we just were the icing on the cake, if you like. You know the imports yeah. who, who scored the goals and and defended it at the other end. If you're thinking of Dave Watson, and was it fun out there? Vancouver's a nice place, I think. I've been. Oh, it's I've, beautiful. Yeah. yeah, it's a beautiful place. It, yeah, it really is. And one of the bonuses, obviously, was being able to see uh, or travel America. You know. Yeah. And, get around and play in New York and Chicago and places like that. So it was interesting. Uh, it was an interesting two seasons I had. Um, I mean, when you said I had two spells there, it, I only I had actually two seasons. Yeah, oh, right, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I came back and had, had uh, a winter in England on loan uh, at Oldham Athletics. So oh, yeah, Oldham, I was actually right. Canadian. I was Vancouver Whitecaps player, but I just came back on loan. Right, right, right. Um, and uh, uh, the other thing uh, that I that I have a vague memory about you was to do with um, your uh, silver uh, pig medallion, which came out of like a superstition to do with uh, seeing seeing pigs or something. Yeah, it wasn't silver, uh, Bill. Right. It was it was a little pink pig that Rob Jenkins got me. A very 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 small pink pig, small enough to probably uh, be as big as your fingernail. Right, so right. Very small and very pink and very light. Um, but, yeah, th- this story was that every time we saw a pig in the field or as we were travelling on the train or a coach or wherever, or we passed a pub that was called the Happy Pig or right. something like that, I'd happened to score a goal, and Rob Jenkins picked that one up, Rob being our physio at the time. Um, Rob picked that thing up, and then after about Christmas, decided he'd buy me this little pig and gave it to me. Um, so that I always had a pig, so I didn't have to rely on seeing a pub with a pig's name or seeing right. some pigs in the field. So I have a pig. So, right, right. And that was, the, that was why I, I, I took that with me, and I always had it in the pocket. But for the cup final... I decided that that wasn't enough to have it in my pocket. I needed a bit more luck than that, so so I, I walked out with it in my hand and I played with it in my hand. Wow, wow! <laughs> um, are you? Were you a superstitious player by nature? Uh, no, not really. No, no, but that was just one superstition that I couldn't I couldn't really resist. Yeah, yeah. Because it was the cup final, I wasn't particularly superstitious. I, I used to I used to travel the same way to. Um, to the Upton Park on a Saturday, for instance, but that wasn't so much superstition as um, I wanted to come down from Forest Gate down Green Street and just pick up the vibes from the fans. Um, right, right. And, and that yeah. was brilliant for me. You know, I'd be maybe at the top of uh, Green Street at one thirty on a Saturday, and just driving down there, it would take probably ten to fifteen minutes because of the crowds and the, and the traffic. Uh, and I just picked up the vibe so well that I was just ready to play when I got there at 2 o'clock. You know? yeah, um, yeah. I just loved seeing the claret and blue and the people walking down there and coming out of Ken's Cafe. And um, 
and, and so I, that wasn't so much a superstition as just me getting a, a feel for the game, yeah, just yeah, getting really hyped, really hyped up to play at Upton Park, yeah. and which is which is somewhere where I, I just love playing. I, I, it's difficult to describe, um, really, but at other clubs, came to Saturday and getting towards three o'clock, and I'd be very nervous and thinking about what might happen, and I hoped I'd do all right, I hoped I'd score, you know, I was dubious about how the game would go, but, but when I was at West Ham and playing at Upton Park on a Saturday afternoon, I just couldn't wait to get down there, I could not wait to get on the field at, at five to three yeah. um, and play there, it was just a fantastic place for me. That is something you hear a lot. I, I, we we had Macaveni on the podcast. He was saying the same thing. He was just like, you know, right, desperate okay. to get back there and just play again in front of the fans and stuff. Yeah, right? that's right. It was, yeah. it was just. I mean, I, I was lucky really because I wasn't that a popular player at any of, of the other clubs I played for. You know, I'd scored goals, but um, you know, I wasn't like you know the fans' favourite player by any stretch of the imagination. But for some unknown reason. When I played for West Ham, and, and you know, I knew I wasn't a typical West Ham player. Um, you know, for some reason, the fans kind of took to me, and maybe it was because of the way I played, or the way I put myself about, and the fact that I wasn't really frightened about getting hurt. Yeah, um, yeah. And the, the fans took to me, and and so I just you know, it, I just loved playing there. It was very difficult to describe, other, yeah. other than that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my yeah, my memories were that uh, you always seemed to make yourself available for the ball, and uh, um, uh, we've had players since then. Like Sheringham uh, would find space a lot, but it's it's uh, it was almost the opposite. He wasn't necessarily showing for the ball; he was almost hiding from the other team until they suddenly noticed that he's in about sort of six square yards of space on his own and they forgot to pick him up. Uh, whereas yeah. you um, made yourself kind of a lightning rod for uh, for uh, all passes to come your way. It seemed to sort of, you were really happy for like the game to kind of go through you in the last third. And um, it, it felt that, you know, in the last third, you were sort of really kind of pulling strings and a very sort of dominant presence. And uh, I think that's why the fans took, you know, took to you so much it was sort of um it, it just felt like you 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 know you were really kind of taking the lead in that last third of the pitch and uh, um yeah so but it, it it sort of feels like it, it feels like um I mean, what do you think about the sort of changes in the system where, where we do nominally have kind of one up front now? What do you, do you think that that, that is a, um, you know, has, has, has had an adverse effect on the game? Well, I think, you know, when I look back to the, to our era, um, I, I think that the players now are technically better than we were. Um, mm -hmm. the, they're fitter than we were and, and we were very fit you know it's, it's hard to describe how fit we were um, but you know they're so quick now and uh, and technically so good um, yet I feel the game itself isn't as good as a spectacle um, you know I think fans like to see what we did which was getting the ball uh, from one end to the other, you know, goal games really we considered were a won and lost in both penalty areas. Yeah, and yeah. now such a great deal of the play is, is between the penalty areas, um, and not quite so much in those vital areas that I used to work in. You know, that was my the, the penalty area was was my home ground really. Yeah, you know, that's yeah. where I operated, and I wanted to be. Uh, I always wanted to be on the ball. 
I always wanted to uh, the ball to come to me because I wanted to impose myself on the on the opposition centre half. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I liked the physical side of the game. I, I didn't mind getting hurt. I liked. I quite. I mean, I played up to it a little bit in that if I did get hurt. I wouldn't show it because mm-hmm. I wanted the fans to think how tough I was. Well, I wasn't that tough. I was just a bit clever and played a bit of an uh, played a bit of an act. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I wanted to show the fans that I was quite prepared to be hurt to be able to get the ball and hold it and get it out wide and then get in the box and get hurt again but score a goal. So yeah, yeah. Um, you know that that's what I wanted. I like the physical side of it. I, I didn't like it when um, when I was playing against someone who wasn't quite as physical as a centre half. So I wanted to have a battle and uh, and I felt that that was something that fans like to see, that physical side. And no, I mean, I, mean, I wouldn't probably last 60 minutes. I'd be sent off now the way <laughs> the way I played then, if I was playing now. But, uh, but you know, the, you, you're protected so much now as a striker that um, probably the way I played wouldn't, wouldn't work because, you know, I wasn't, as I said earlier on, I wasn't a typical West Ham player and I knew mm. that. Um, and John Lyle, when I told John that, and you know, I said, look, I don't, when I was about to sign for a club, I said, I don't really think I'm a typical West Ham player. He said, no, you're not. And that's why I've signed you. Yeah, because yeah. Because I want something, we want something different. And he said, and the fans will like you because you will be different and you'll, you'll put yourself about in the penalty area. And that's what, uh, that's where goals are scored. Uh, you know, and it's a simple, basic, statement but but it's true yeah if you put the ball in the penalty area you're likely to score a goal and if you've got somebody who is prepared to get hurt to score a goal then you've got a chance so um and that's how i played and and that's that's really the story of my five years at west ham and yeah well, I think, the, I think the composition of a good team sort of requires a bit of kind of variety in the players you've got in there. For example, I think at the moment we have quite a few players that all would ideally like to be the sort of number 10, like Anderson, Fornells, Lanzini, Wilshire, uh, arguably Noble would all be best served being the number 10, but they can't all be the number 10. And, uh, you know, what was great about um, uh, the team that you were in was that there was a sort of great variety of uh, of players in a great variety of approach, and it was a it was actually a fantastic team that uh, uh, um, you know they obviously hung on to uh, Brooking uh, when they when they went down, and um, and so we had a you know that team that finally came up, and then I think the first season back um, uh, eighty one eighty two was a sort of mid table finish, wasn't it? It was a good side yeah, yeah. playing really well because we had the confidence of like absolutely creaming it in the uh, second flight and coming straight back up and continuing to just play very good football. And it was a really good, you know, I saw a few of those games and uh, uh, it was a fantastic outfit, that team. It really felt like every part of that team worked very well. It must have been a fantastic team to be part of. Well, yeah, it was. I mean, I played in three separate little eras, if you like, because I played my first season and a half with Pop Robson up front. And yeah, that's picking right. up your, your theme there as number 10, you know, Pop was a number 10. Yeah. Um, then Stuart Pearson came and Stuart loved the fact that I was a number nine and he could be number 10 um, because Stuart was a very good player faced up towards the goal. I was a good back-to-goal back to player. Yeah. Um, and Stuart was a... And that's why Stuart played so well in the cup final, not only because 
he was a big game player. You know, he played for England, he mm-hmm. played big games for Man United, but Stuart could play faced up. Uh, you yeah, know, running yeah. at running at their goal, whereas I I was the other way around. I wanted to play with them back to goal and and then get in the box. And then Paul Goddard came, and, and Paul was a number ten. So and they liked playing with somebody like myself because I was the one who could take the knocks and do the hard work and and you know do all the defending from the front, which suited me to be quite honest. Because you know my game was I I was very good without the ball. You know, some players yeah, are very absolutely. good with the ball, and, and yeah, Stuart yeah. and Stuart and Paul and Pop were brilliant with the ball. I was really a one and two touch player who just wanted to get in the box. So yeah. I was, you know, my my movement off off the ball yeah, was running uh, into space. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly, and, and creating. I mean, the fact that you're running into space not only means you're likely to get the ball, but it means you're dragging the centre half with you, who yeah, will, and that absolutely. will then create space for your mate, who's the yeah. number ten, who gets in there, and and so um, you know, I. I the number 10, everyone wanted to be the number 10 because you don't get hurt as much there because yeah, you're not doing yeah. the physical stuff. But I didn't want that. I, I, I knew, well, in fact, I knew I couldn't do it. I, you know, I, number nine was my number on the back. I never played with any other number in my career. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm quite proud of the fact that if people look at our new centre forward, um, Halea, and, and say, you know, is he a number nine? in the way that David Cross is number nine. That's a big flattering compliment. For me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is a, that is a kind of a, a testament to how West Ham fans look at you. As I said at the beginning of this, I think every time we're slightly short on kind of firepower, I think the conversation in pubs uh, all around the ground is like, if we had a David Cross type now, we'd be okay. And yeah. I think that's the, you know, that is, you know, possibly... You know, even more than Hursty, because perhaps you're just more recent in people's memories. It, it is it, you are seen as you're seen as a certain type of kind of uh, lead the line, athletic front player that um, people still look as the sort of you know the kind of paradigm or the example of that kind of player. And uh, yeah, you certainly are for me. And I, like I was young when I started uh, to go to go to games, but I saw games in that sort of that period. Uh, uh, and probably when I started to go, actually, was sort of, you know, in that kind of somewhere between 79 and 82 was when I probably started going sort of, okay. you know, more than a couple of times a year. So I have sort of quite, you know, quite good memories of uh, that period. And obviously we played some fantastic football in that uh, period. Your uh, your offspring are all sporty. That's is, Am I right? I'm right in that. Isn't, doesn't your daughter play cricket? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Kate, Kate plays cricket yeah. for England, yeah. And yeah. um, yeah. my, my son plays cricket well he did play for Lancashire but he's 35 36 right, now right. So, um but Bobby played uh, cricket for Lancashire and my other daughter Jennifer is uh is a county netball player as well so oh, wow. yeah we would sport sport runs in in the families doesn't it if, yeah 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 you know if you're a sportsman and my wife was a netball player as well oh, right, and, right. Um, you know she would always encourage the kids to to play sport and I suppose if I'd be an, uh, being an actor or being a, a, a musical uh, you know, prodigy, then yeah. maybe my kids would turn out that way. But yeah. it just seemed natural that we would encourage the kids to play sport, just for enjoyment, really. And I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in in one thing, which is that sport is for enjoyment. You know? Yeah, absolutely. It, most people will play sport and not get paid for it 
you know, occasionally you'll get somebody who, who does get paid for it, and yeah. uh, sometimes the fun then gets knocked out of it because you, your livelihood's at stake. But sport for me is is about enjoying yourself, and yeah. Um, yeah. and I've always encouraged my kids to to do what they wanted to do to enjoy themselves, and sport was the way they went. Did you ever play cricket growing up? Yes, I did. Yeah, I was yeah. a cricketer, probably a better cricketer than I was a footballer when I was very young. But uh, I realised that. I've got more of a chance of, of making right. money uh, as a footballer than the, uh, in the late sixties. You know, there wasn't a great deal of money in cricket, and no, no. Um, and and I just happened to fall lucky and get signed by my local club. Uh, and even then, when I got signed as a professional, I didn't think I was ever going to be good enough mm. to, to to progress up the ladder like I did do. So, you know, for me, looking back on a career that you know lasted nearly twenty seasons and, yeah. and playing. 600 and odd games and getting 250 goals you know yeah, I, I yeah. would never have, I would never have no. believed that that was going to happen when I first signed for Rochdale as an 18 year old yeah yeah no you chose the right path so uh, just to just to uh, just to finish us off we um, uh, we were absolutely in the sort of that was uh, one of the one of the lowest points was that Newcastle game. I think we really, really sort of expected a reaction uh, after uh, some of the disappointing results uh, before that. Uh, uh, we didn't get it. Um, and uh, um, But we had a little bit of a reaction at the weekend with a little bit of a sort of reshaping the team. And I wonder, I wonder whether, uh, you know, what you think uh, the rest of the season might hold for the club. Well, when you look at the players, you, you know, you think that we must have a good chance of, of certainly when you go out on a on a Saturday afternoon and you put player against player that you know the Newcastle game uh, apart from a couple of the Newcastle lads there's a little lad up front uh, Sam Maxine as he called yeah yeah that um, guy yeah he did well um, in that particular game and uh, the the Brazilian kid uh, uh, yeah he comes from Romford um, <laughs> Joe Linton yeah Joe Linton um, yeah yeah <laughs> I thought he was. I thought he was from East End somewhere when I first saw his name. Then yeah, I yeah. It, was, it was one name. It wasn't two. Yeah. Um, but when you compare the two sides uh, as eleven against eleven, then you know you think, well, West Ham are going to beat these because. Yeah. But it's not about. It's not about that. It's 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 about your desire to go out and uh, and perform. And and I think that's the difference now between modern day players and, and the players from our era that you know we were really working class players in terms of if we won we, we earned more money if we played yeah. we won we earned more money and you know that was a big incentive for someone like me who came from a working class background um you know who's you know just was brought up by my mother because my father died when i was four right, uh, we right. had you know we had nothing in the family i had no money um and to be able to earn money was a big thing for me, you know, the professional football was my out. Um, I was reasonably yeah. intelligent, I might have done something else, but you know, I was never going to earn big money, and, you know, being a professional footballer, it gave me that chance to do that, and with the incentives that we had when we were players at that time, you had the chance to either double or treble your wages in one particular week yeah, by, yeah. Being in the by being in the team and winning. Yeah, and and that was a big incentive for someone like me and most of the other lads in our team. Yeah, yeah. But now those like the lads now who are playing have no real incentive to play or win no. because they earn that much money anyway. So you know we we were working class, um, and now the lads aren't probably working class. You know they they, they don't need the incentive to to play every week and to win. 
uh, to earn more money. They, you know, they get so much money now. And I'm yeah. not decrying that. I'm not blaming those lads. Good luck to them. Um, but that's just how we were. We were working class. If we played, we earned more money. If we won, yeah. we earned more money. Yeah. So it was as simple as that. So um, yeah. in that respect, I think players are different now. They have a different mentality to the one we had. Yeah. Well, listen, David, it's been absolutely uh, fantastic. It's been a real privilege to talk to you. It's one of my... Well, it's nice to speak to you, but I can hear you now, by the way. Just, oh, that's just good. Not only just. Brilliant. All right, David, thanks very much. David Cross there, nice guy, huh? Nice bloke. Yep. One nice bloke. Yeah, yeah. One of our Absolutely. And he was, uh, I didn't, I didn't uh, mention that, but he was, he said something later that made me reminded me of the fact that he was in fact a bit of a kind of brainiac and i think he's one of those people like robert green that had the reputation for always reading a book on the kind of train and coach to away it's a big center forward isn't it you don't expect a center forward to be eloquent and the the guy can actually have a conversation yeah well he's a very which um, is unusual among center forwards he is a very smart guy a really nice guy as well so it's great to talk to him we'll talk about the chelsea game after this break This week's Stop Hammer Time is brought to you by Gaz and the team at the Blue Ball in Walton-on-the-Hill near Epsom. Check out their amazing Sunday lunch. And whilst you're there, enjoy it with a pint of Watney's Pale Ale. Hello and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast brought to you by me, Mark and my co-host Bethan. Each week we take a deep dive into the dark world of true crime. Cases have ranged from the murder of Christina Abbott, a high-class escort who was killed by a sadistic client, to the Peru 2, a pair of young women convicted of smuggling drugs in South America. Whilst always respectful to the victims of these crimes, we do like to tell each story in our own unique style, with humour and lots of f***ing swearing. Join us every Wednesday for a new episode of Seeing Red, a true crime podcast, wherever you get yours. Welcome back. So, at the weekend, gentlemen, we went to uh, Stamford Bridge in southwest London and saw a rather satisfying game of football. Uh, what, do we, what do we make of it all? Shall I start, Gary? Yeah, I think so. Well, I, I want to give some tremendous praise to, 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 to my standing colleague on the day, because Gary went into the turnstile saying, I've got a good feeling about this game. Uh-huh. And I think he was probably just about on his own. Because nobody else was sort no. of having those sort of optimistic. Well, there was no optimism whatsoever in the pub before the game. I'd like to point um, out on the on the podcast last week, I predicted quite a thumping win for that. You for did, that you did you, three two, I believe. Three two, I believe. Yes. I so I got the winning margin correct. Well, you did, but it didn't help my bet because no. I I followed that. I went down uh, to the bookmakers and I put some good money on, um, right, and, 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 and I, I ended up really, really disappointed <laughs> with a one nil win. Right. Yes. But but yes. but. The, you know, I, I, you're forgiven. Well, sh- why shoot for the moon when you can have the stars or whatever the, they say? It, it, it's yeah. something very like that. But but as I say, Gary got it right, and actually he got it right during the game as well. Yeah, good just, man, just killer. a feeling, just a feeling. Good no, 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 you did, no, no, no. It wasn't a feeling because you did much more. Overwhelming sense of expectation when we went into that ground. And mm-hmm. I don't know what happened between the pub 
and the ground. <laughs> yeah, but something happened. We were quite maudlin on the way. We all predicted a loss. Yeah, yeah. We all predicted Pellegrini was going to get sacked. Yeah. <laughs> but, but he also said something quite interesting during the game. He said, look, if we go 1-0 up, this is a young side. They won't come back. Mm. And, 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 and they didn't. Not really. No, no they, they... Yeah, they, they haven't been 1-0 down very often. They've scored a lot of goals, haven't yes, they? Yes. And, uh, and coming back, especially because we were sitting quite deep. We weren't playing the high line like we had been in previous no. weeks, so they couldn't take advantage of it. No. But we, um, uh, it was a good game. It was a good performance. I mean, uh, uh, the, uh, the, you know, the bottom line was work rate, really, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. there, were, there were certain things which we'll talk about in a moment, but really the kind of headline is just better work rate, wasn't it? I mean, it we was. just worked harder. Um, rice. Rice. He was absolutely outstanding. That was probably yeah. his best game, I would say, yeah, maybe ever in a West Ham shirt. He was all over the place. He was. And he had the incentive of being up against his mate, Mason Mount, mm-hmm. at his old club in Chelsea. Yeah. The one his dad supported, I think. So, yeah. yeah all the motivation to do it, but my God, what a performance. It was a really good performance. And I mean, I think this, this season, as, as we've sort of suggested once or twice on the podcast before, is a little bit of a kind of uh, crux season for him because yeah. I, I, think he, I think his um, Gareth Barry-like defensive qualities you know, came to England's notice yeah. last season. And so as a, someone to sit in front of the back four, yeah. uh, he was um, uh, you know, a shoe-in, I think, from his play. But I mean... I think, uh, you know, they're always going to be looking for someone who can bring a little bit more, like, more than just being a bit of a stopper, you know, yeah. someone who is going to kind of carry the ball out. And some of his runs on, on Saturday, some of his kind of yep. um, uh, dictating play yeah. uh, and not just reacting was really good. Uh, well, I think it was quite strange because we saw him on the left wing quite a bit and he yes. made a couple of runs down that yeah. side. Yeah. Um, but the thing that I noticed about Chelsea, not detracting a from our performance but the thing that I noticed about Chelsea in particular is that Pedro had a nightmare quiet wasn't he but but, but he was threatening that side or that's where he was supposed Mm. to be playing Mm. Um, they brought on William and he had exactly he got absolutely nothing out of Cresswell no no Uh, and and he even allowed Cresswell to get forward quite a bit after that and in fact Cresswell got forward before that for his for his goal yeah um but but we were expecting that game where Cresswell and Fredericks would be just tied up at the back somewhere. Mm-hmm. But we didn't really, really think no, they were going to no. be storming down both flanks. No. But but so was Snodgrass on the other side. Yeah. I mean, we we absolutely did them on both wings. We did, yeah. Uh, I mean, there was a, there was the the obviously the just the the fact that we worked harder was what sort of led to mainly the result. But there were some uh, uh, structural changes to the team and. And uh, um, moving uh, Anderson inside, uh, we've seen Fornells on the wing before, but it felt like even though they're just converted wingers and wing play is not their kind of natural way of playing, Snodgrass and, uh, and Fornells were our wingers because... Anderson was going to play inside in a sort of number 10 position. And... Uh, We've sort of had a kind of nod to that before, but quite often they swap during the game and stuff. But I think they kept that shape very well uh, so that... 
the winger was backed up by a defender on both flanks. And as you say, you know, their wide players didn't really get a lot out of us. And no. uh, so it was very organised. It was very... Yeah, organized. and it was quite a fluid formation. People seemed mm. to have the freedom to roam a little bit, you know, especially, yeah. especially Anderson playing at number 10, like mm. you said. I really, I really liked it. Because yeah. when you put him out on the wing and you put Fornells out on the wing, even though they're strictly where he was at the weekend, mm, mm. Um, it's a kind of it's a waste because they're both number tens. They should be playing in the yeah. middle. They should have one eye on trying to find the striker. You know, and what they tend to do when you put them out in the wings, they tend to, in my view, just just hide. They yeah. hide out there. You know, and, and especially Anderson, he wants to get rid of the ball as soon as he gets it yeah. when he's on the wing. Right. So he did a lot better, I'd say. The one the one issue I've got with with Anderson is he seems to get substituted every single game. You know, and, I, yeah. and I'm not sure he deserved to get substituted on. on not necessarily, on no, no. Yeah. I think I mean there's, there was just a, a, a degree of kind of leg freshening that need to, needed to mm. sort of happen in that game. What we still, in a way, don't have on the bench is pace. You know, and uh, yeah. um, Antonio ran himself literally into the ground, he didn't did, yeah. he? Just uh, he sort of didn't go for one ball, yeah. uh, put his hands on his thighs, and stopped playing. <laughs> He just yeah. had to take him off. He was incredible. He, he worked really well, ball. didn't he? Yeah. But, but there, it was about five minutes before that that he went on a blistering run. Yeah. yeah. And, and you could that see when he got off. to the end yeah. of that, that's my very last run. I can't do anymore. Yeah. And, and he's carrying a bit of timber again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And apparently he's rumoured to have a bit of a thigh, thigh strain or something after that game, which really? means he yeah. might not play in the week. Oh, my God. So, right, you know, okay. So, it's, it, I mean, that was always going to be on the cards because we really needed <clears> him, didn't we, after <clears> that run of... Just shitty results. Well, I, I think when you've got somebody putting themselves out uh, around up front like that, it takes the focus off the rest of the team. It has a knock-on yeah. effect on the midfield. It has a knock-on effect on the defenders. When you haven't got that, when you haven't got that focal point, so I, I kind of I dread having to put Haller back in against Wolves. I, yeah, well, I, I mean, I think yeah. you know. Hopefully, there's been a bit of a kind of air clearing thing because I do think mm. that um, there's there's been you know. Um, as as David Cross said, you know, he's he is possibly sort of like hiding a bit because he's just not getting the change out of the rest of the team. But it sort of cuts both ways in that he has to show more for it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. also they have to look for him. You know, yeah, they no, have they got do, to but, look but, for but, him. But, but actually what David said is spot on. Um, if you're not getting the ball and you're not getting the service, then you do need to talk to the rest of the team and say, just put the ball in there. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll get it. I'll find it. Yeah. And it's that sort of work rate. And I think actually David would do very well in modern football because mm, it is mm. that attitude of wanting the ball, um, even in modern football, that he's still absolutely needed. Hiding during the game isn't the answer. Yeah, and, and Heller doesn't play that role. He doesn't play that role. He doesn't say, put it into the box and I'll no. go and find it. He just hides behind a centre half or something like that. Now, whether that is a conflict, thing or not I hope it is because early on in the season it was fantastic it was absolutely amazing well I mean there are there are there are sort of slightly bewildering you know that when when um when Fredericks went out of the team for a while and Zabaleta came inside like Fredericks does get to the byline and cross mm. and uh and Hilaire certainly early on in the season was uh, committing to balls that went across the six-yard box low yeah. and hard and diverting them into the net. And, you know, it's a fairly traditional way of scoring goals. But, like, that's not quite... Zabaleta's not quite as good as that at Fredericks because he's have the pace to get to the byline, yeah. you know. Um, similarly, um, when the left flank was shared by Anderson and Cresswell... Um, 
you know, uh, Jabo Jabo Ibiro last week said that you know if if Anderson's going to always want to cut inside and not going to want to run, yeah. well then he's just got to tell the rest of the team that so that Cresswell runs on and yeah. he'll cross. Yeah. You know what what happens is it looks like. Anderson might run, but but decides to just put the brakes on and look for a pass, yep. and so all that play down one flank has just gone because Cresswell is assuming he's going to ta- that Anderson's going to take it on his own. It's like, it's like he doesn't want to take responsibility, Anderson, it's very weird. And, he, and he tries to get rid of the ball as soon as he gets I, it. I, I think you also hit the nail on the head as well. Plain in white, I don't think he's his position no, because, for my mind, he gets the ball, he almost sometimes gets it with half of his back to the goal. He turns around and he's got two things to do. He can either take it wide or he can take it inside. Yeah. Or he can play that square ball. And 90% of the time he's playing that square ball. Yeah. If he's more central, then he gets two flanks to look at and he gets a through ball to look at. He hasn't got those limited options because he's actually quite a good footballer. And I think he needs to be closer to the centre of the pitch and on the wing. I agree. I agree. I mean, I think it's like if you have a good player, you know, just give them the ball. I mean, it's like it's sort of, you know, there's sometimes a feeling that it's kind of an egalitarian game and we should sort of uh, uh, share the love. When we had Di Canio, basically every single player from every position was going, Where's Paolo? Where's Paolo giving the ball? And I think um, certainly for Anderson, and to a degree, once you're you're in the last third, uh, you know, where is Alea? Look, you know, the the rest of the team need to look for those two players. And I think think, think Alea was just, his head was just going down a bit because because in a way, you know, it's difficult. If you've got a £45 million price tag on your head because you were banging lots of goals in, Uh, uh, Eintracht Frankfurt you know if if you're going yeah but yeah. the system under which I was putting those goals in front two. is not happening now yeah but it was it's, a front two he was playing in a front two there yeah. and he's now looking to say well I actually I'm being asked to play a lone yeah. striker role yeah. and I don't think he actually knows how to do it no that's what I mean um, yeah yeah but, but earlier in the season when Antonio was there before he was injured that was almost a front two and yeah look how well that worked at Watford yeah, but since then you can't really look at a game and say that he's had a partner there no. because Anderson never gets close. Someone's enough. got to get close. Hey, Yarmolenko yeah. yeah, yeah. could get close enough yeah, because absolutely. he can play inside, um, yeah. but it, it, it doesn't seem to be the way that we set out. And, and, and despite the fact that we had a wonderful result over the weekend, um, let's not get carried away. No, no, we had six very bad games before that. We did very we bad did. games, and some of those games we looked awful. We so, um, so this doesn't really solve anything yet, as far we as we were I'm lucky. Concerned. They didn't start uh, Willian, Kante, and Hudson Odoi. I think I, a couple of those I, were I coming think, back yeah. from injury. I think Lampard possibly. Yeah, he thought we were going to start with Roberto in goal, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's the way he set up his team. He put Giroud up front, so he was looking for Giroud yep. to Bully give to Roberto a yeah. nightmare. Um, you know, as it turned out, we set up absolutely perfect for their system because, mm. you know, um, Ogbonna played really well, was kind of the lead centre half. Yeah. And then Balbuena, he's all he had was one job to do, and that was take care of Giroud. Giroud and yeah. give him, don't, don't let him think, just give him one job to do. Mm-mm. And he had Giroud in his pocket. He did, he did. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, it was good. Uh, Ogbonna, the return of Ogbonna was uh, good as well, I, I think. Mm. Um, you know, Ogbonna, it's funny. I, I, 
for some reason, you know, just or social media, sort of Bonner's mistakes seem to be magnified above and beyond anyone else's mistakes. And there were people that sort of yeah. rated him very poorly. Raters thought of Bonner as just yeah. an awful defender. I think he's the best centre-half we've got. Well, he heads the, he's the best header of a ball for yeah. a start, mm, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. He's the best header of all. He also has some, you know, he makes a nuisance of himself in a corner when we get a corner he's not only headed Mm -hmm. goals quite a few times for us late winner against Liverpool a few seasons back was a fantastic goal Uh, but he's um, you know scored a couple with his feet I think he's you know he's been parts of drills that teams that know a corner drill and uh, we've been woefully bad at corners Sheffield United we had something like (laughs) 10 in the first half and did nothing with them and in fact I think possibly United's uh, goal was from a corner and just yeah. caused absolute mayhem in our penalty area. You know, well, you, you know, some of it's down to the keeper flapping behind the defenders, yeah. but you've got to look at Diop as a, you know, because he was great last year. Diop, he was at a yeah. certain point in time, and this year he seems to have completely lost it. He's gone to pieces, and I think him and Ogbonna had a decent relationship at one point, and mm. then. Pellegrini decided in his infinite wisdom to just drop Ogbonna for no reason, put yeah. Balbuena in. That just spread chaos amongst the centre halves. They just got mm, worse mm. and worse and worse. Yeah, mm. with with this terrible keeper behind them. Yes, yeah. well, yeah. I, I, I'm surprised by Balbuena as well because he arrived with this nickname, didn't he? The captain, the general, the general, or the general. Yeah, yeah. Um, the guy that's in charge, the guy that organises, and I've mm. never seen that from him. Yeah. I mean, I think he he could be a, a relatively reasonable player. Yeah, but. But we knew on, on Saturday who was controlling that back line, and that yeah. was Ogbonna. Every time. No. Yeah. He, he, I mean, he was good last season, Balbuena, but it seemed to just come back from, yeah. you know, the summer, just mm. not quite the player he was. Well, maybe he played all summer, and that might be probably the problem did, as yeah. well. Yeah, it could have been. Could have been. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it was a good... I mean, those, you know... Uh, I think I think Ogbonna had a really good game. Uh, Rice played out of his skin. I think mm. there were sort of very few bad performances, really, across the pitch. Yeah. Um, uh, Antonio just worked his nuts off. You yeah, know. I think I think they were um, excellent, really. And really we good. had quite a few goal scoring opportunities. And in, in fact, the you know the the slightly negative side of 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 Antonio was there was a clear ball that bounced at a difficult height, so he was caught between trying to kick it in and knee it in, and yeah. did neither. <laughs> And Hellier yeah. puts that away, right? As, yeah, as a striker, yeah. they've yeah. got that ability to think quickly and yeah. adjust themselves. Yeah, but there again, Antonio's thought right there where the ball's going to arrive and Hellier yes, isn't. Yeah. He you called, know, that's he, a difference. He the chance. You yeah. know, I mean, yeah. it, we've been waiting for Hellier to get there into being that position in the box time yeah, and time right. again, and he hasn't done mm-hmm. it, has he? But, but yeah, I, I, I just uh, I don't want to get carried away, like Colin said. I don't no. want to get carried away because no, no. It, it's no. it's one win, and if you remember back to the Billich times, we had a, yeah. a few of these full storms Absolutely. before he eventually got fired. Yeah, yeah. And this is, um, you know, I, I think I'm a bit concerned with what Pellegrini said after the game because he he came out and said. Sometimes when you get criticised, it's not deserved. Sometimes mm. when you get praised, it's not deserved, which is fine. Mm-hmm. That, that's good. But then he, he kind of went on to say, they said, what did you change? He said, I didn't change anything. We did the same thing. Well, I said, well, apart from the keeper, the striker, mm. you know, who else? They're changing formation, they're dropping deep and putting Anderson in the hole. Yeah, it changed nothing at all, did mm-hmm. you? I mean, just, I, I can understand him trying to save face, but it doesn't give me any faith. How many of those, those, those changes 
were not forced upon him? How many of those would he have made out of choice? Well, no, the only difference I saw over the weekend is I think the players came out with a plan and with attitude. Yes. I mean, I don't think that Pellegrini changed too much about what he was doing. Yes, he made a couple of changes, two of them because he had to, hmm. um, because you had a, a, a player who was suspended. Um, yeah. And, you know, Haller didn't need... Drop him for his own good. Yeah. Because yeah. In, but dro- but dropping back deep, that's a significant change in approach. Yeah, it was. But, I mean, you're away at Chelsea, you pack the midfield, so you're always expecting yeah. to be a little bit deep, mm-hmm. aren't you? But we do, you know, like like when a tennis player breaks the other player's serve, it's then the next game that matters because you have to yes. hold your own serve. And we, mm. we um, Wolves away is tough, isn't it? And we've now going into Sorry. this kind of two mm. games in a week. Uh, we're going to play on Wednesday and next Monday, uh, mm-hmm. Arsenal at home. So, so um, you know, that's difficult. They're both tricky fixtures. Uh, you, you know, you, you'd hope, in fact, for more out of the Arsenal one than playing Wolves away. Wolves started the season very badly, but uh, a lot of that was, I think, to do with Europa League. And they are now looking like a bit like the Wolves of last season. They're yeah, sort they of, um, I mean, Sheffield United the showed 10. that you can go there and be stubborn. Yeah, um, yeah. And they just got a point off of them. Yeah. Um, and I, I think if we, we have the same sort of attitude as we did against Chelsea, yeah. if we can continue that attitude, I think we could be stubborn enough to hold them to something like a, you know, perhaps a draw. Yeah, or yeah, which would be I mean, great. It's, it's within us. Um, and, and now the players have actually accepted responsibility and put the effort in. Yeah, the, yeah. The, then it's only good as as good as doing it the next game as well, because you've yeah. got to keep that going. Yeah. yeah. I, I liked... Um, uh, though he wasn't p- particularly effective, uh, I liked keeping the left back on and bringing um, Masuaku on yes. to play in front of him as yeah. a sort of winger. Yeah. I mean, I think converted winger is is you know obviously I think wing back is probably the sort of uh, best deployment of Masuaku, but I think um, converted winger is uh, a good role for him because, I mean, we, yeah. you know, a bit of pace off the bench is, is, is if, something if, we're going to need. If our manager yeah. spotted that, I don't know whether he mm. did or not, but, I mean, I certainly did at the game. Um, we, we saw Rice have um, a, an awful lot of joy down that side. You had mm. Creswell coming forward and having an awful jo- mm. joy. Creswell was taking care of both wingers. Yeah. And uh, and I think he looked at, I think it's James, the uh, yes, Chelsea was, yeah, uh, yeah. fullback. I think he looked very dodgy on that side. Yeah. So I think if, if, if Pellegrini had actually seen that and said, look, I'm going to bring another guy on that side yeah. because that, that fullback is having a nightmare, that could have been in his thinking. So yes. if that's, you hope so, don't you? I, I would hope that that would be part of his thinking. But, I mean, he might have just thought, well, another, another yeah. pair of legs. I mean, I think, you know, I think there has been a sort of worry that Pellegrini, and, and I don't know whether we've just said it to each other socially or on this podcast, that sometimes it feels like Pellegrini doesn't really take the other team into account yeah you know mm. um there was definitely you know again Newcastle uh, as we said last time yeah. um well yeah. actually against Spurs uh uh, uh Jabo Ibire was standing next to me watching the game and he within about two two minutes he said that number 24 Aurier mm. he's a weak link he can't defend to save his life right. he provided the cross for one of their goals but he is one of those fullbacks that yeah. sort of can't defend but he's good up the flank and stuff and he went you know they should just be pressing that side because he's got a mistake in he, he said that guy's a ticking time bomb he's like you know mm. and actually yeah. Felipe Anderson was on that wing and had one of his most ineffective games in the West Ham shirt. Yeah. When you really had an opportunity to bully mm-hmm. their right back, our left, our whole left flank 
didn't do that. But that, because... was, that was a team where eight of your players didn't turn up. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we really only Absolutely. had a couple of players playing, yeah. didn't we? And yeah. that was an identical performance to what we put in against Newcastle yes. and the previous game. Same formation, <laughs> same players. Yeah. And then suddenly it changed last weekend. So, yeah. Excuse well, me for being a little bit sceptical. Well, no, I, I, I agree with you. I think there have been a few players in this miserable period um, that it's not necessarily work for them, but I can't actually fault Snodgrass's effort throughout no, no, those no, games. No. I can't fault Noble's effort throughout those no. games. Occasionally, Rice has had a nightmare through those games as well. Yes. But, but the effort has been there. So you hit upon a thread. It's the British thread that was running through could, that team yeah, it could on, be, yeah. on Saturday. Yeah, it, it, right? it could well be, yeah. And there is a rumour that Noble gave a Parker-like speech before the game. Yeah, yeah. You know. Oh, right, OK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, didn't know he was so eloquent. Yeah, I thought that the uh, uh, not Dorothy Parker, Scott Parker. <laughs> yeah, I'm Scott. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, Scott Parker. Um, but I, but you know, I, I think that I think that's uh, some of that reshaping, uh, bringing on Bonner back. You know, we've been crying out for that. I mean, he, he the um, he was late. You know, he's late to the party with um, bringing Fredericks in. Mm. For Zabaleta, and a bit late to the party, bringing uh, Ogbonna in for Balbuena, which he didn't do because Diop was dropped, but he brought Ogbonna back but, in. But he's dropped him since when mm, he's mm. been playing perfectly well. Mm, mm, I mean, it wasn't yeah. just a matter of being late, it was no. bringing him back and then taking him out and yeah. then saying, oh no, actually, he's got a well, start. The, yeah. Bo- the Balbuena Diop pairing last season did work very well, but I think mm. he, I think he, I think should have probably stuck with Ogbonna because Ogbonna was. Um, mm. You know, is fairly consistent. He's pretty consistent. But when you think about but, it, um, uh, sometime during the Tottenham game, we went back to Ogbonner and Rice at the back because we did, Diop yeah, had yeah. been something. And actually, we played a bit better. Uh, uh, but but that was the previous manager's team yeah, yeah. from the previous yeah, yeah. season. Absolutely. So so for all the improvements you made, you're suddenly back to square one, aren't you, with Rice no, and Ogbonner? I mean, I, I thought I thought. Uh, I mean, if he does. Um, take certain aspects of the change of formation from Saturday and take them onwards. I, t- I certainly think Anderson uh, in in the kind of number ten role is a yeah. really good call because I think he. It's not necessarily even that the player uh, improves, though he did improve because he saw more of the ball. I think it just gave the team a little bit more of a shape whereby they knew what they were doing. These two converted wingers, who neither of whom are natural wingers, yeah. played as if they were wingers because they went, that's what we've been told to do. So, so um, Fornals and Snodgrass, mm. even though they, they both cut inside quite yeah. a lot, they kind of went, we will play as wingers yeah, because yeah. Felipe's in the middle. You know, uh, mm. and, and, and it felt like there was a bit more... Uh, you know, intent in that yeah. lineup. Well, Felipe Anderson is a fantastic player. He's so talented, yeah. and when he's on his game and he's full of confidence, and we've, he, he's he's almost unplayable. We saw some great performances out of him last year, and I think yeah. that's got to be the mm. challenge with him is to bring his confidence back up again. Yeah. And that's why I mentioned what I mentioned earlier about him being substituted. You know, I looked earlier. Last 13 games that he started, he's been substituted 10 times. Yeah. Mm. What does that do for a player's confidence who's already a bit fragile? Yeah, yeah. Right? So it it just seems that, you know, Pellegrini is just a creature of habit who just does the same Mm -hmm. thing over and over and over again. You need to build the guy up. And I think he played well enough on Saturday to play for the whole 90 minutes. And put him in that playmaker role. Yeah, he wasn't perfect, but he was a lot better. No, but it's difficult for Pellegrini, isn't it? And this is part of the very strange thing that West Ham have done. We had a great number 10 in Lanzini. Uh, the following year, we bought another 10 in, in Anderson. Yeah. And over the close season this season, we bought 4-0. So we got... And, and Wilshire. Uh, yeah. And Wilshire is a 
possibly a number 10 as well yeah. if he's fit. No, we've um, got all players that want to be number 10. So, so, so yeah. you've, you've got through them. Now, yeah, you can take Anderson off and you can disappoint him and you can not play 4 nils and disappoint him. And when Lanzini comes, does he go straight back in the side? No. Because it's, no. It, it, it's a difficult call, isn't it? Yeah. But at some stage, you know all of those three footballers are good footballers. And you can, you can only really play one of them. I think you can only... We've tried to yeah. accommodate two, but I, th- I think that there's yeah. only room for them. Well, the best one to my mind by a country mile is Anderson. He's Anderson, yeah. yeah. Well, if you, I mean, if you're truly playing that, a bad day. if you're truly playing that sort of uh, front three, you know, some combination of at least two of those guys should be able to do that. Mm. I mean, Spurs were playing with Kane up front, and then behind him, uh, Son, Ali, and uh, Lucas Moura, yeah. Yeah. two of whom are, are strikers themselves, yeah. Yeah. playing as support to the striker. But and both, I mean, but, I, but, but, but both Moura and. Ali are capable of going wide and cutting in. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, they're not pure number 10s, No, no, are that's they? right. No, but that's the new breed of footballer where sort of this game yeah. is developing, isn't it? I mean, that's sort of something I kind of, you know, in a way meant to come on to with, with David on Fandover Cross, is that, um, you know, these kind of Sadio Mane-type players, mm. uh, you know, these guys that are there... there they can do everything. They're yeah. a little bit winger, a little yeah. bit number 10, a little bit striker. They're, football's not full of those guys. You know, no. Coutinho was one of those guys. And, yeah. and you know, there are lo- those guys on the continent. But we don't necessarily have them here, but we play in setups as if we do. Mm. We're kind of going, I'm going to play this 4-3-3, and I've got these three front guys. And you're going, no, you haven't. You've got, you know, Carlton Cole... Mm. Kevin Nolan uh, yeah. and Ricardo Vazte <laughs> yeah. as your... E- e- exactly, you know, yeah. And, you know, certainly one of those guys isn't any of those three things. We've just got him Although at, he's a good... You know, like Kevin Nolan was a good football. But. The old equivalent, you know, tell Hayden Mullins he's a wonderful winger and get out there. You know, I mean, yeah, it, yeah. it just wouldn't yeah. work, would it? No, no that's it, right. it, um, Anyway, we should probably wrap this up. So we've... Uh, um, we, we, we've got predictions in theory for two games, the Wolves in the week and the Arsenal at home. Um, you know, if we if we... You know, could win one of those two games, that would be great. Uh, they're both tricky. Um, you know, I could... You, you'd love four points, wouldn't you? You'd love a draw and a win, uh, but they're hard games and you're not sort of, you're not kind of looking at those games going, yeah, I think four points from that would be great. Nil points from that would be <laughs> something you'd predict quite confidently, but we mm. need something really, don't we? Yeah, yeah. I'm, so yeah. what do we think about the Wolves? Well, I'm going, so oh, yeah. you know I only go to away wins. Yeah, so 2-0 oh, yeah. West Ham. 2-0 West Ham, yeah. excellent. Colin? Well, I, I, I've not seen an away defeat yet this season. No. I, I've seen four away games and I've not seen a separate, but I'm not Are going you, to Wolves. Right. Oh, so right. no, that, 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 that's all gone now. Um, I, I think that uh, I think we might get another clean sheet and it might be a goalless draw. Right, nil-nil. Hmm. I'm going to say... Uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers 2, West Ham 4. Oh, mm. bold, bold. Yeah, that's, that's not going to happen, but, uh, but I'll say it. I'll say it. <laughs> no, we heard you say yeah, yeah, it. I did say Now, what about Arsenal? Now, you know, they're sort of, uh, they're mm. very fragile. Depends, doesn't it? Are they going to get a new manager before we play them? Yeah. Uh, probably not. Because no, I don't think manage- they will. No, no. no. Right, no, no, so, no. so in view of that, I think we're going to beat them. Mm, mm. I think we're going to beat them 2-1. 1-0. Well, I'm going to go 2-0. And the reason I say that is that I watched them over the weekend. 
Um, and they were trying to play the same system that the old manager that's just been sacked um, played before he was sacked. Mm, mm. I mean, they were trying to play um, out from the back, from the goalkeeper, and play that passing football, including Sideshow Bob trying to play passing football. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is just absolutely ridiculous. Um, Manchester City can play from the back, from the goalkeeper all the way mm, through, mm. because they've got very good players. Yeah. Emery, for some reason, thought that that was OK for Arsenal... With, with some, you know, iffy, some iffy, yeah, iffy, players, I, yeah. iffy defenders. Yeah. So un, unless they address that with the new manager, um, and they're not going to get one within the next few days, I'm confident for that 2-0 win. Good, I, think, good. I think we've got them. Well, that's a very positive uh, outcome for this yeah. podcast. Uh, this has been Stop Hammer Time. My name is Phil Whelans. With me have been uh, Gary Killington. Come on, your eyes. And Colin Milne. Good night, all. Cheers. This is a playback media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at westhampodcast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.